welcome guys. This is the first podcast to uh, My Favorite Gangster, which is going to be a series that covers all the famous gangsters that we find interesting. Um, and tonight we're going to cover Al Capone, uh, better known as Scarface. Yeah, Scarface. Did you know that he actually hated that nickname? He actually hated it so much that he would hide the left side of his face when they tried it, when he saw like the press and stuff trying to take pictures of him. He would just hide his face, that side of his face. Hated it. He hated it so much that he like made up a bunch of uh, stories on how he got it. Nobody actually knew the real story. He told a bunch of different ones. Yeah, just a bunch of bullshit stories about how he was in World War One and shit. And yeah, like the Battle of France in World War One. And but no, actually he would. Uh, yeah, he would say he got it in France in uh, World War One, but he was never there. He was actually he was actually never in World War One. So yeah, it says here that Capone would attribute the scar to wounds he received in battle while fighting with the famous lost battalion in france during world war one the fact that capone never spent one minute in the army was just a minor point apparently yeah yeah <laughs> and uh so there was a lot of stories that went around there's many many stories that went around some of it said he got into a fight in a beer hall or with a jealous lover or like uh with another fellow gang member it changed throughout but uh, I think the most like original story comes from back in 1919 when he started working at the Harvard Inn on right, Coney Island. This is the one that seems to be most true. Um, There's actually like mugshot photos of him in 1917 where he doesn't have it. And then like a few years later, there's a mugshot of him and he does have it. And it's only a few years later. I forget the exact date. but So that's why they think this is the most like true story because it fits the time dates i believe it was something like uh <clears throat> he assaulted some woman outside of the bar and he uh he was the bouncer i believe and he assaulted you, some woman did you read that it was outside of a bar because when i was doing research on it i read that uh it was actually inside a bar and it was to the bar owner who was another mobster called frank galusio and uh it was to like his sister or something inside a bar huh I That's think... the mysterious right, things right. I mean of the story. It's changed so many times. The person, like, if it's the story of him assaulting a woman or insulting a woman with a brother or a lover there, it, those characters change throughout history all the time. That's why nobody actually knows who it was, but they think this is the most, like, original story of where it probably did happen. Right. Inside a bar of him insulting a woman. <clears throat> and somebody sticking up for her. Whoever that was. Her brother. Her lover. I don't know. Oh, right. Yeah. This one said it was Frank Galusio's sister, and uh, Al Capone was staring at her weirdly so much that she asked her brother Frank to go tell him to quit. And before she even, or before Frank got there, he leaned over to her and said, Honey, you got a nice ass. And I mean that as a compliment, believe me. And then that's when Frank Galusio like, told him that, you know, that was not okay and told him to apologize. And Al Capone told him that he wasn't going to or something like that. Anyway, they got into a fight. And that guy pulled out a pocket knife and sliced his face. It's one of the stories. Brutal. It is totally brutal. Well, let's just uh, get into some of his uh, earlier life. He was born on January 17th, 1988. No, no, not 1988. It was 1899. <laughs> 1988 was when I was born. <laughs> so it was... Uh, Minor actually, dyslexia. I got you. Don't worry. It was in January 17th of 1899. <laughs> In Brooklyn, New York, his real name is Alphonse Capone. He was the fourth of nine children. Yeah, right, his right. parents were uh, Gabriel, who was a barber, 
and Teresa Capone. They're immigrants from Angry, Italy. Angry? It's a A-N-G-R-I. I don't know the pronunciation. Let's see here. Um, <clears throat> I believe his mom was a seamstress, too. And yeah, it is. Angry, Did you know a town in the province of Salerno. Salerno. Yeah. So, yeah, they're immigrants from Italy. Did you know that he was in street gangs as a boy? Dropped out of school in sixth grade? Yeah, at the age of 14. I read that. I, well, yeah. I read that he he was, at the age of 14, he was done with schooling. But he was a good student. He was smart. He's very intelligent. He just... Uh, he joined the Five Points Gang in Manhattan. Started working as a bouncer and a bartender at the Harvard Inn. Right. It's unfortunate that, you know, mm-hmm. he was in a strict parochial Catholic school because mm-hmm. they said that he showed a lot of promise. But the strictness of the school really drove him to... Do you know why he, he got expelled? No, I don't. He uh, he actually was expelled for hitting a female teacher in the face. Really? I did not read that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he was he was expelled. And he also worked at a candy store in a bowling alley. I didn't know that either. Yeah, see? Wow. Um, it was during this time that uh, he really started becoming more influenced by the gangster Johnny Torrio. And that is... Who they say he is the prodigy, prodigy. Of. Yeah, they say he's the reason that he moved to Chicago. Yeah, and do you, do you know who Johnny Torrio is? He was a very famous mobster in Chicago in that era, and he was right. a former Brooklyn mobster, but he moved to the Windy City. I really wonder how him and Al Capone, a fourteen-year-old or around there, got you know kind of close because there's like. I guess there's not that much of a difference in years, but over 15 years difference in age. What was crazy is uh, when he first got to Chicago, he worked for Torrio, and Torrio was a part of the criminal network headed by uh, Big Jim Colosimo. And uh, Colosimo was killed, and they think that it was a possible hit ordered by Torrio, but it was carried out by uh, Capone's former boss, Frankie Yale. Frankie Yale owned the Harvard Inn. Right, right, yeah. Did, wait, did Frankie y- Yale kill um, They think Torrio? They, yeah, they think he did. Right, and that's... But, Would, but Al Capone went to Chicago before that. Yeah, he went he to... He was sh- already working with, not Johnny Torrio, but uh, the other guy. Yeah, and then what happened with Torrio is uh, he worked for Torrio for a while, and then Torrio, or after Frankie... Not Frankie... After Big Jim Colosimo was killed, Torrio took over as the crime boss. And then he made Al Capone one of his aides, like a high-level aide. And uh, he was that for like a few years until 1925 in January where Torrio was gunned down. But he survived. Yeah, Torrio survived. He was still gunned down, but he survived. He was shot a lot. and He he was an assassination attempt. But uh, he didn't retire until he actually served a prison sentence after the assassination attempt. In January tw- er, on January 24th, 1925, in retaliation for the O'Bannon assassination. You know who O'Bannon is? I do not. Um, okay, so little background. Um, the Chicago outfit. You okay. know what that is? Yes. The Chicago outfit, for those who don't know, the Chicago outfit is um, essentially the Italian-American organized crime syndicate based in the south side of Chicago, Illinois. Um, it dates back to... Are you talking about the outfit? The outfit. The, the first outfit name was, was Al- the Chicago outfit. Yeah, but... But it wasn't Al Capone's. Okay. 
It was originated by Johnny Torrio uh, and Colissimo. I just read that once Al Capone took over for uh, Torrio, he expanded the outfit. Okay, he expanded the outfit. Okay, it was already called the outfit. Right. Yeah. He, so he wasn't when a founder. When Al Capone of it. took over, he made it like colossally, uh, like bigger. He made it. He made it on a much bigger scale. Right. Such right. a bigger scale. Um, but it that... rose to a giant scale with Torrio. Um, okay, so Torrio is actually the nephew. The nephew, I believe, is the nephew of Calissimo. <laughs> Hold on. I'm, I'm getting it right here. Okay. And keep reading. Yeah. So what happened was, so jo- uh, Johnny was actually the nephew of Calissimo, if I am remembering correctly. So what happened was, uh, I believe that, so Calissimo was, uh, I'm sorry, so Torrio was wanting to expand the Chicago outfit to include he wanted to expand the chicago outfit to include the distribution and like transportation of alcohol because this is during the prohibition right right alcohol was illegal during this time so right they're making huge profits whatever he wanted to get into the immense profits of bootlegging right and colissimo was so against it he refused it he was like no way no way and he was the leader at this time of the chicago outfit and i'm talking this is this man's Uncle, Torio, Torio's uncle, you know? And Torio don't give a shit. Yeah, is. it's cold-blooded. <laughs> Just bang, bang. <laughs> right, so Torio realized that Calissimo was, like, uh, impeding on their ability to make, like, these great profits during the Prohibition era, and uh, he actually had Frankie Yale, Al Capone's old boss from the Harvard Inn, come down to assassinate Calissimo. That's actually what happened. Right, that's so, what like, I mean. Frankie's, or uh, Al Capone's former boss who owned the Harvard Inn. Fraggy Yale came down and actually assassinated Big Jim Calissimo, which made Torrio take over. Right. So then Al Capone and Torrio together really pushed the Chicago outfitters into an organized crime ring and really got it going with profits. And, you know. Yeah, but then once in 1925, when Torrio was uh, shot with the assassination attempt, which he survived, but later that year left Chicago, was like, I am done. He gave it the he made Al Capone the reigning boss, and Al Capone was only twenty six years old when he took over, and he actually expanded the outfit so much that he became one of America's leading mobsters. By some estimates, they say that uh, the crime syndicate pulled in around a hundred million a year, and this is in nineteen twenty five, twenty like late nineteen twenties. Right, right, right. But that <clears throat> could have never happened without the political allies yeah, 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 that yeah, yeah, they yeah. made because well um, he paid a lot of people the uh, like so many people that he even pay, mm. was paying the uh he even helped one of chicago's most corrupt political leaders get that position hold on i have it right here it was for the 1927 mayor mayoral okay so i have it right here <laughs> it was for the 1927 race for mayor where he's even reported as like to giving like two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in donations for William Hale Thompson to win the election. Well, I mean, think about it. If in nineteen twenty five, nineteen twenty six, you're raking in a hundred million a year, that's <laughs> like, <laughs> that's ridiculous amounts of money for nineteen twenties. Right, and so the reason he supported this Republican so much was because he would often hint to you know reopening these illegal 
these illegal saloons and um, easing the consequences for, you know, racketeering and their biggest bootlegging and all of those things. Like it, he was very, very wishy-washy. He was a very corrupt politician. Well, um, Al Capone's biggest money makers in his crime syndicate the first was definitely bootlegging and then after that it was gambling and then prostitution and then racketeering he also uh, engaged in land sharking i don't know if you know what that is that's um where it's kind of like those car loan lender places that they would give out loans for like you know whatever somebody needs and then like have this super high interest rate of like you know crazy expectations and then if they didn't pay it, the penalty was death or like... Right, it's super know. scary when you take a loan from the mob and then you can't pay it and like two Terrible. big Gambinos show up. Yeah. I'm yeah. ready to just smash your kneecaps in unless you pay us. Did you know that there was something called the... pine? It was called the um, Pineapple Primary, going back to the political alliances he had, where this election that was held on April 10th, 1928, actually was so violent that like the... Attorney General and everything was calling for more federal marshals to be uh, there to protect people to give their votes. Really? And the reason they called it the pineapple primary is because the term pineapple was uh, kind of like a slang term for hand grenade. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it looks like a pineapple. Right. Yeah. 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 No kidding. Right. And so like he couldn't have gotten as successful with the Chicago outfit had he not had those political alliances in power which leads you to the saint valentine's day massacre because they believe there was police involvement yeah Um, but that's more at the end of al capone's reign of chicago but that was only two years not even that was only a year after the political election yeah yeah but i mean that was the end that was pretty much the end of al capone in chicago Right, right, right. But because you realize he that he was in... only there, like actually in power, a position of power from 26. He was 25. only... 25. 1925, he took over at 26 years old. Oh, I read it was in 1926. I read it was in 25. 25 was when he was... there. Was, the assassination attempt happened, and then he spent a year in prison before actually retiring and handing Al Capone the leadership entirely yeah i read that in 1925 he was shot in an assassination attempt mm-hmm. lived later that year left to chicago and gave power control over to al capone oh okay see so yeah, i just uh, it said in 26 for me from from my research anyway yeah um but regardless you know that was still only you know three to four years after he took oh yeah he wasn't there long but he was making huge money Huge money, yes. Definitely huge money. But it was a period filled with, like, real bad gang violence. The, the Chicago outfit was not the only No, there was a lot. There. there was a few gangs in there. Yeah, but most... The biggest rival was the North Side gang. Yeah, Bugsy Seagulls. Yeah, it didn't start out with Bugsy Seagulls, though. I don't think it did, but it he was, was part of the... Uh, he Jaime Wace. Jaime Wace. I didn't read anything about him. What? No. What? Let's see here. Well, Capone is the one who had him killed. Jaime Weiss killed because he was... That's when the war really... So there was a, a truce, actually, between the Northside Gang, which yeah. is an Irish mob. Yeah, like then, an Irish immigrant-formed gang. Yeah, yeah. And and um, the Chicago Outfit is obviously affiliated with Italians. And right. 
funny funny fact i don't know if you know this but uh al capone's wife who he was happily married to was actually irish no i had no idea (laughs) which is crazy that that's who you know he was butting heads with so hard and it was the war that happened between the two rival gangs that when al capone had jaime weiss killed that led to the saint valentine's day massacre okay yeah i didn't know that at all yeah that's how it all started and then the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, like you said, was an attempt to... Kill Bugsy Siegel. I know it was yeah. an attempt to kill him, but he wasn't even there. Why do you keep saying Siegel? It's Bugs Moran. Really? Am I getting that wrong? Yeah. Moran. M-O-R-A-N. He was the head of the Northside gang. Moran was the last survivor of the Northside gunman. His succession had come about because his similarly aggressive predecessors vincent drucci and jaime weiss had been killed in the violence that followed the murder of the original leader o'bannon <laughs> why was i saying seagull holy shit yeah who's seagull i have no idea that's what happens when i have a few beers before i do a podcast <laughs> <laughs> i don't even see any seagulls yeah here. me neither i'm looking around at like some of the notes i took and uh yeah i don't i don't see it either it no is Bugsy george Siegel. bugs Murray. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Fact check him. <laughs> yeah. Fact check me. That's what happens. <laughs> Victory sour monkeys. They get me every time. Damn. But uh, yeah. And the Al Capone actually wasn't hated by the public. Um, no, he was actually a very flashy public figure that would talk to. And donated uh, so yeah. much money to yeah, the Yeah, and he public. would talk to reporters all the time and just was completely in the public and wasn't like sorry for anything that did. In fact, one of the quotes he said was... uh that 90% of the people in Cook County drink and gamble, and my offense has been to furnish them with these amusements. Like, And he was like, that's my offense? To give these people what they want? They want to gamble and drink. And you're taking it away from them. To say I'm a criminal when these people love me for giving them the things they want? Right. He really ridiculous. he really effed up when he started getting into the <clears throat> bloody gang wars that led to innocent people's lives being taken because, mm-hmm. you know, oh, during yeah. the St. Valentine's Day massacre, maybe they weren't so innocent, but like just associate, associates of these gangs who weren't actually like guilty or in the fight against Capone or whatever it may be were essentially murdered for no reason. Yeah. And, you know... You can't have that much bloodshed. It wasn't until the St. Valentine's Day massacre that, you know, Al Capone's reputation started to get tarnished and, you know, people stopped believing that he was the modern day Robin Hood, right. as some people like to call him, because he used to donate so much money to charities and stuff around Chicago. Yeah, he would actually help the community out. The community loved him at first. Right. Um, Want to hear a cool fact about his car? <laughs> sure. Do you know what kind of car he drove? Hopefully a Cadillac. It is a Cadillac. Oh. It's a 1928 Cadillac. And what he did that was completely like revolutionary at the time is he took a 1928 Cadillac, Cadillac. He equipped it with a larger V8 L-head engine, but had 90 horsepower. And what he would do is the Chicago police, they had 85 Cadillacs too. What he did was he painted his green and black to match the police of Chicago's Cadillacs. Then he put a police siren in it. He put lights in the grill and he bulletproofed it. It actually, at the end, weighed 4,875 pounds because he put steel plating in the doors behind the rear seat. He put it in the 
and each door panel in front of the engine compartment behind the rear seat, he had one inch thick bulletproof glass in every window that could also roll down so they could fire gunfire back. He was pretty much the first person ever to take a civilian looking car and bulletproof it to ride around in town and nobody could tell. And since he beefed up the engine with because of the extra weight, he was faster than the cops and could outrun them and they couldn't you know, their bullets couldn't penetrate through his car. That's crazy. But he was in cahoots with the police officers anyway. So like. The reason he didn't get in trouble is because he paid them all off. But I mean, even this was mostly for rival gang members, let's be honest. Right. This is for one another. But to paint it the match the car the police cars of Chicago. He would flip his sirens on and flip his lights on and just drive through traffic because everybody would get out of his way because they thought it was Chicago PD. I think we should do this to my Cadillac. I, I would too, but yours is all black. It, it the only thing it looks like is like a presidential one. Put flags on the front. And the front on each side of the hood have American flags. Because then I have to get a charger. What does a charger have to do with the black presidential Cadillac? I know, but I think lots of police officers have chargers now, don't they? Oh, yeah, tons. Paint it silver or white. <laughs> Put a roof rack on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it would totally look like. But yeah, I thought that was a cool fact. He had red lights behind the grill and an official type siren. Oh, and inside he had a he had the first police band radio receiver installed in a private car so he could listen to the radio calls while he was out inside his Cadillac. That's Smart. crazy. It was crazy. Very yeah. intelligent. But um back to when he was getting into lots of trouble. Man, I want that Cadillac. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um back to when he was If you actually click on that link up there, there's pictures of it. You can see it. Well, sorry that you can't see it. Just Google it. Anyhow, back to when he was getting in a bunch of trouble. I believe it was the St. Valentine's Day massacres that caused him to be listed by newspapers as public enemy number one, if I have that correctly. But for those of you who don't know what the St. Valentine's Day massacre is or was rather it happened on february 14th 1929 when seven members or associates of the north side gang which was the irish gang uh were lined up and shot in a garage it, like seven of them they're just lined yeah, up seven. he had two people like two gangsters dress up as police officers it was four people altogether. it was four altogether, but two of them were dressed up as police officers right. and they led the men inside put them up against the wall like they're frisking them and Basically, you know, shaking down a illegal speakeasy or you know place that had alcohol. Right. And, well, this all happened because, you know, they were fighting for control over the organized crime in the right. city. Right, and he wanted to kill Bugs Moran. Right, and he wasn't even there. No, he wasn't one of the seven guys massacred. They fired over 70 rounds. Actually, some people believe that he, uh, the suspects for the shooting, they believe were former gang members from Egan, Egan Rats Gang who started working for Capone, along with the Chicago Police Department, because they believed that the Chicago Police Department wanted revenge for a police officer's son who was killed. No kidding. I didn't read that. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, super crazy. It sounds the like corruption's crazy. That the when, crime... you li- when you read about the 1920s and 30s and stuff, some of those mobsters in Chicago and New York yeah. and... Youngstown, you know, yeah, all Youngstown, of it. Youngstown, Philadelphia. It's crazy. Or Philadelphia. Yeah, wild times <laughs> yeah the chicago outfit actually got so big i don't know if you read this but it um for the listeners the chicago outfit actually at one point got so big under al capone that it stretched from florida to chicago all the way to california 
Yeah, they're shipping in all that Caribbean rum from th- up through Florida. They own lots of land down there. They were just complete like empty spaces on the coast and stuff. And they would just take small boats. And that just, doesn't exist anymore. No, empty spaces no. on the coast. <laughs> and they would just have you know small ships of Caribbean rum up there, and that's how they would get Caribbean rum into the states. It's through Florida. Yeah, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Actually, in 1929, after the St. Day massacre in May of 1929, he was slapped with his first conviction. It was just because he got arrested in Philadelphia for carrying a concealed weapon. At the time, he was on his way back to Chicago following a summit of organized crime honchos in Atlantic City. And he got sentenced to a year in jail then, in May, or after he got picked up in May of 20, 1929 for conce- carrying a concealed pistol. Was he... Was, he- why did he go to Alcatraz? We'll get into that. He was freed in March 1930, and a month later, the Chicago Crime Commission released its first ever list of city's worst criminals, and Capone was named public enemy number, I'm, public enemy number one. Oh, that's what I, I that thought That was in was... 1930. That was a year after the St. Valentine's. Yeah, the oh, St. Valentine's okay. Day Massacre. Hmm. But while all this was going on, when he got arrested for his first conviction in Philadelphia for carrying a gun, President Herbert Hoover wanted to nail Capone. He wanted to get this Chicago mobster. So he had a federal government build a case against the crime boss for income tax fraud. That's where all this came from because the president wanted to nail Capone. They couldn't... I know a lot of people say that Elliot Ness, which was like a famous detective who had the untouchables, they say he was involved in Capone's case. But truthfully, he wasn't really involved in that much. He just got Capone on some probation violations which the federal government was like, that's not enough to get him. We're going to go for the tax fraud instead. So they wanted to nail him for the the income tax fraud. And in 1931, he was actually indicted on charges of tax invasion. How long did he spend in jail? Well, he agreed to a plea deal at first that included a recommended prison sentence of two and a half years. But the judge at that time refused to accept the deal. So Capone withdrew his guilty plea, and the case went to trial. At the start of the trial... The judge learned about the jury getting bribes, so he actually kicked out the entire first jury, brought in another all-male jury because uh, female juries in Illinois weren't allowed until 1939, and this was in 31. So they kicked all the jurors out and brought in another male mm-hmm. all-male jury, and that jury found the gangster guilty of five charges, which was three felonies and two misdemeanors of more than 20 counts against him. He was sentenced to 11 years behind bars, and he was fined $50,000. It was the harshest sentence delivered for tax fraud in the country up to that point. That's wow. what they nailed him on. But so they gave him 11 years. So oh, his, damn. in 1932, he began his sentence for tax evasion at the U.S. Penitentiary in Atlanta. Two years later, they sent him to Alcatraz in, in August of 1934. But Alcatraz was like this super secure prison for like violent criminals and like major like just super messed up criminals. He was. That's not. But he was arrested. Let's let's see what he was arrested for. And what he was indicted on was tax evasion. This is a white collar crime. But he was sent to where the, you know, San Francisco's Bay's new federal prison, Alcatraz. You know, the biggest, baddest thing. They say that the reason they sent Al Capone there wasn't for how brutal he was. But mostly probably for just a free publicity stunt so that the government could show off their new high max facility prison he well, he was there for white collar crime tax hmm. evasion That's why crazy. would they send him to the most secure prison in the country with the the most sickest people in the world tax evasion 
Yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's super crazy. So they did that. But he uh so he was in Alcatraz in San Francisco and Bay. And that was the only conviction he ever got? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, in January of 1939, he uh he was released from Alcatraz. While at Alcatraz though, he was diagnosed with syphilis. So That sucks. They didn't have penicillin at the time. So there's like no treatments. Well, I mean, there were some treatments, but he had let it go for so long. Right. That uh, he started showing signs of like disease, including dementia, too. But as his condition worsened, they treated him with malaria injections and hoped that the fevers caused by malaria would wipe out the syphilis. Oh, and my gosh. Yeah. And instead, the treatment nearly proved fatal for Capone and almost killed him. <gasps> That's horrible. Yeah. They didn't know. So the... In 39, he was released from Alcatraz and transferred to the Federal Correction Institution at Terminal Island near L.A. in Los Angeles did to you, serve a one-year misdemeanor sentence. Did you know that when he was released from prison, he was actually referred to the John Hopskin Hospital in Baltimore for treatment for the syphilis? And they rejected him based solely on his reputation. So he ended up going to the Union Memorial Hospital, and he was so grateful that they would give him care that he donated two Japanese weeping cherry trees in 1939 to that hospital. Really? Um, yeah, for giving him care because John Hopkins was just like, nope, you can't come here. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. That's crazy. Like, yeah, super crazy. He knew, you know, he had the money to pay him. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah, actually he, uh, yeah, what actually ended up happening there is he went through treatment at the Baltimore hospital for seven months. Yeah, the Union Memorial. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it and, said it was uh, inpatient and outpatient. Right, and then uh, he got out. He was actually, he became one of the first civilian and uh, the first civilians to receive penicillin in the, like, I don't know. I think it was probably in the early 30s. It doesn't actually say. I didn't read. Hmm. Don't know. But yeah, he was one of the first citizens to ever receive penicillin for a treat of syphilis, but it was too late for him to cure him. So, damn. Yeah. But after 1939, he moved back to Palm Island, Florida, where he stayed out of the public spotlight. He didn't want any of the public spotlight. He said he, they say he spent his time just fishing, playing cards. Hanging and out lived, with his wife and his grandkids. Yeah. Is what and, I read. In his mansion that he had owned since 1928. He bought that mansion in Florida in 1928. Right. That's where he died. Just uh, let's backtrack a little bit here. Yeah. But also when he was working in the, um, what's it called? Bootlegging? Yeah. Uh, when an establishment refused to purchase liquor from him, it often got blown up immediately after refusing oh i bet i bet he sent some goons out there in the middle of the night with some molotovs and explosives well no not even in the middle of the night it says during these bombings which occurred in the 1920s as many as 100 people were killed oh so you just do it in the middle of the day like ruthlessly <laughs> Whenever like people here's were some there, tnt yeah. guys yeah wow um, <laughs> they actually say that capone is like responsible for the proliferation of the brothels in the city no kidding because he would just blow them up if they refused to work with him like what the hell that is crazy yeah yeah and it's uh you know he used bribery and intimidation to take over not only elections but you know forcing people to work 
within his crime yeah, they organization. Say that the reason he avoided a conviction for so long in Chicago was because he had so many people paid off. And if he couldn't pay them off, he would threaten them. And if he couldn't threaten them, he would just off them. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. But, yeah, then, you know, in 1947, to go back to his end of years, he was 48 and he suffered a stroke and then he came down with pneumonia and then he died in his Florida home of January, on January 25th. Of cardiac arrest. Of cardiac arrest. Yep. Mm -hmm. And uh, they buried him in Chicago's Mount Olivet Cemetery near the graves of his father and one of his brothers. But in 1950, the Capone family had the remains of the three men moved to Mount Carmel Cemetery in Hillside, Illinois. And that's where he resides to this day. Yeah. Another fun fact that I forgot to mention, but uh, his son, he had one son. He did have one son named um, Sonny, I think. That's what they called him. But yeah, that's I what they called him. his name was like Albert. I'm not sure. That might be way wrong. Um, yeah, I just see that they had one child, Sonny. Yeah. He yeah. had one son. Hold on. I'll get to it. There we go. Marriage and family. Take your time. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, it was Albert. Yeah, they had okay. they had one son, Albert Francis Sonny Capone, but he had lost most of his hearing in his left ear as a child, but it doesn't say why. I'm just curious as to why. Probably genetics or something. And uh, he actually got the Irish girl, May, his wife, May um, Capone. Coughlin. Oh, okay. yeah, that was her. They married at 19 and a month. And earlier that month when they got married, she, so she had given him birth. That's yeah. her maiden name, was, Yeah. She had given birth earlier that month that they were married at 19. His parents had to give um, consent in writing for the marriage because they were so young. They weren't 21. Yeah. And uh, in all the accounts, it says that they uh, had a happy marriage despite the lifestyle he lived. Like, did she have syphilis? How could you forgive him for that? What an ass. And I imagine he couldn't have been like, you know, faithful through those years of owning no, brothels. He had fucking and syphilis. That's what I mean. Like, like he owned all these brothels and like, you know, illegal liquor. He was probably just getting drunk and they you were know, married fucking in 1918. They said he got like syphilis in like nineteen twenty six. Like Right. He was he life? was no, he was banging prostitutes at his brothels. Just drinking, you know, his illegal whiskey and rum. <laughs> fucking hookers. <laughs> what the hell? But yeah, so I don't I guess We'll probably just start wrapping this up then. Do you have anything else to say about Al Capone? I do not. I think we covered it. I mean, I think he's a pretty in interesting, uh, notorious gangster. and um, Yeah, he was one of the most successful gangsters of entire American history. Yeah, definitely. I mean, with the political alliances that he created or basically, forced. Yeah, or basically buying or forcing all of his right. connections in Chicago. I just can't imagine in 1926 just raking in 100 mil. But I just imagine, like, there were no... Couldn't imagine raking in 100 mil in a 2019. A lot of the business that was done back then, I would imagine, had to be corrupt. There were no recordings. There were no cameras. There were no... You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. it was much more private. There wasn't the ability to have all this evidence on people. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. There, I mean, it was all pretty much just, you know, uh, verbal agreements. They, they did have stuff in black and white, but the mobsters didn't do that, you know? And even if they did... It's paper. Right. You can write whatever you want. Catch that shit on fire. It's gone. Right. Yep. Like, yeah. yeah. Prohibition was a crazy time. If you ever get a chance to read it, 
there's a book called Low Life, and it's actually about this period in New York, and it's super interesting. Really good book. Yeah, I really love gangsters. Uh, I like just American mobsters, like old school mobsters and gangsters. I mean, I don't. I want to say I love I, them. Yeah, I wouldn't say I love them, but I would say that They're their just, stories are very interesting and in how they helped form just cities. I mean, Miami destroyed, was built on coke. Destroyed cities. Like, <sighs> let's think about where these gangsters really were. They were in New York. They were in Cleveland, Chicago, Philadelphia, Youngstown, Pittsburgh, New Jersey, Chicago, Philadelphia. Like, all these schools, or all these, all these schools, all these cities that were right in the Midwest. And when you look. I think a Even lot of that, that was, was like, just because Canada was right on the border and the Great Lakes were there. And I guarantee you getting Canadian whiskey and stuff over the Great Lakes was way easier yeah. than up the ocean. So. I really don't think that was it. I think, honestly, the reason that they were centered right there is they their families usually immigrated into Ellis Island. Oh, uh, yeah, They that's started true. in New York. And the easiest the way... The farthest they went is Chicago. But... Chicago, from Chica- well, like Chicago was the, a big enough city that they could travel to Los Angeles right, so by I mean, train. And in the 1920s, so, that was probably the last big city besides like, I mean, at that point, from there on, there wasn't really great cars. He didn't get mm-hmm. a, like an awesome car. And, you know, even then it was a But you could travel Cadillac. there by train. So like businesses yes, yes, still yes. were very, very, you know, nation. Well, I guess there was wide. San Francisco and stuff. So Yeah. So, but Chicago but to the West the Coast to... was a huge gap. It was. But I'm just saying like. The Midwest was so... Yeah, they landed in New York, maybe moved to Philadelphia, then Pittsburgh, then, you know, Youngstown, but, Cleveland, and then Chicago or something like that. Maybe Detroit. Right, right. but not only that, but I also think, like, if you think of, like, the people who resided in those areas, they were usually tenement workers, laborers, union um, laborers who were, you know, fighting for their own rights. So... These these were pretty gritty people, not gritty, but like you know, they just had a rough upbringing. They had well, rough yeah, lives. a lot and of so these like, were just harsh immigrants who came over here that just wanted a better life. And when they got over here, they realized like it's still harsh over here and sucks. Yeah. So they got to bust their ass, and a lot of them, you know, did bust their ass, and a lot of them took advantage of that, like Al Capone. Who, but they also took advantage of the. Uh, crime or or, yeah criminal organizations like the chicago outfit because they were providing them with stuff just like al capone's quote said you know these are what the people want because it's not like life was all beautiful but it was also factories dying right and it was also crazy because like all the places they came from they're like at least over there they gave us fucking booze so we get drunk and forget our problems (laughs) we came over here for a better life and you guys are like alcohol is banned and they're like what the fuck you know now we can't get drunk so now we're gonna work in a factory die at the age of 32 and we can't drink yeah because it, it was so terrible. dangerous it was so dangerous in the factories like and they weren't even working like eight hour days some of them i, I learned this in my history class fyi i'm a history major lame um, <laughs> <laughs> um i learned this in one of my history classes but a lot of times they were laborers who um in the midwest anyway in the steel cities would go to factories in the morning and they would have to wake up earlier than all the other people who would show up there. And then the owners of the factories would come out and yeah. pick the strongest, tallest men yeah. or like the ones that they you know felt would do the best work. And then they would work for 16 hour days, come back to a tenement where like six other families lived with you, you know, and like, like they didn't even have a set job. They would just have to try to get work for the day. Yeah. There's a lot of famous pictures of them. And, like, that's where all the riots would happen and stuff because they would just show up one day with, like, a bunch of bats and stuff and just be protesting that place. And anybody that tried to walk through those gates that would try to go to work, you know, they would they would beat the shit out of them and, you know, scare anybody from walking in there to shut down the plants 
so that they would have no workers. Yeah, I mean, it was a wild before time. like labor we are laws. Ranting now though. Yeah, like labor <laughs> laws. You know, <laughs> is that bad? No, no. I I think people are probably enjoying our rants. Yeah. Well. That's why a lot of the times when I drive through like parts of Pennsylvania and stuff, if you see a big giant steel factory that's still there, there's like a small neighborhood of houses that you can see were just built in the same era that are just still there. And they're only right next to this big giant steel factory. And that's it. And that's where, you know, they would put 15 people in. 15. 15 families of four. Yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's what I meant. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy time. But I think that that's why they were so successful in the Midwest because there were concentrated concentrated groups of people who were poor looking for that vice that right. that that only the organized crime but i think that's why you see a lot of irish them. uh like irish gangs italian gangs i don't think there's any no but i mean just me no no no. i like, see the reason for that is because like a lot of these were like italian immigrants that came over got here realized that they had to work crappy conditions so they banded together to start these crime organizations same with like irish immigrants i wonder if they were actually all irish or all italian because if you think about it al capone was born here in the united states well, he a was lot an of American. the times what would happen is a lot of times they would deal with each other like the italian mob would deal with irish gangsters but the difference is is if you weren't italian you couldn't be a made man if you're a made man like no other gangster could touch you in the in the italian mafia world anyway if you're a made guy, that means you're a part of the Italian mafia. And before you were hit or before you were taken out, before anything happened to you, they actually had to have a meeting with crime bosses and explain why they were going to pretty much, you know, kill you. And if they didn't agree for that's to absurd. that. And if they didn't agree to that, you couldn't do that. That's what, yeah, that's what would happen in the Italian mob. So they would do dealings with the Irish mob, but they couldn't be made man. So I don't know if the- a lot of the times they would, when the wars would break out, there was no. There, there was a code of ethics in, like, the Irish a immigrant code mobs. of ethics. Yeah, Omerta. No. That, yeah, Google Omerta. After this podcast, she's going to Google Omerta. O-M-E-R-T-A. What's that say? A code of silence about criminal activity and refusal to give evidence to authorities. That's ha. the code of the Italian mafia. Yeah, but that's just saying there's a code of silence and refusal to give evidence to authorities against other criminal organizations. That doesn't mean that they were like meeting up and like saying yeah. they, they totally weren't telling you. That was a total thing. If so you you're telling guy, me that like Al Capone before he killed Jaime Weiss or had Jaime Weiss killed rather, um, he met up with the North Side Gang or the other leaders and said that, hey, we're gonna take him out, and they just let him take out their leader. I no, I think a lot of wars started because they didn't take the necessary steps that the Italian mafia established and they would just go I ahead think and that's do that. within their own group. That's Maybe. within their own group. Maybe. I don't know. I it's only within the Italians, I think. The Italian mafia. In the American mafia and the Sicilian mafia, made man is a fully initiated member of the mafia. And to become made, an associate first has to be Italian, and he has to be sponsored by another made man. He'll take the oath of Amerta, the Mafia Code of Silence. After the, cere- the yeah, induction ceremony, he becomes a made man and holds the rank of a soldier in the Mafia hierarchy. Yeah, but that's just within their own group. They don't go consult with other leaders of other groups. Like, they weren't going to the other North Side gang members like, hey, we're just going to take out your leader now you cool with it 
Like, if they were cool with it, that's one... F- like, what? They're not loyal? I... Yeah, look. After the induction ceremony, the associate becomes a made man and holds the rank of soldier, like I said, in the mafia hierarchy. He is given responsibilities and receives benefits. A made man enjoys the full protection and backing of the mafia establishment as long as he remains in favor and earns enough money, a percentage of which must be passed up the hierarchy. A made man is traditionally seen as untouchable by fellow criminals. He is to be respected and to fear and to be feared to strike let alone kill a made man for any reason without the permission of the mafia family leadership is punished by death regardless of whether the perpetrator had a legitimate grievance yeah but it just says criminals every single person in this case is a criminal therefore i saying, still think if it's he was within... an italian made man he would have had to make he would have had to make arrangements first with mafia leadership no matter the grievance okay yeah so what they're saying what i believe they're saying is he, they had to make an agreement with in the family. So within that family hierarchy. I think so, in any of the Sicilian mob, if they were Italian mobsters in a Sicilian, they could only be taken out by their own people by going through the hierarchy. Yeah, anybody else in the Irish mob could kill them, and that's what started a lot of the yeah. wars between the Irish and the Italian mobs, is because there was no establish of code or ethics. They just mowed each other down. Yeah, they're criminals. Yeah, gangsters. Yeah. Anyway, we're totally rambling. We should wrap this up. All right. We'll we see haven't you. talked about Capone in like 15 minutes now. It's all based on Capone. Yeah. And well. That's true. We'll probably uh, churn these out once a week. So this is our first podcast. That was my favorite gangster. I think Maybe next just... time we're going to do a Cadillac Charlie. Cadillac Charlie. Yeah. We're going to teach. The po- purpose of this podcast is each week we just want to. One of us. We're going to take turns of just picking a gangster. And then just we're both going to do independent research upon it and upon that gangster and then come together and just talk about what we learned about him. Yeah. That's basically what this podcast is going to be about. Just get some interesting facts. Just get some interesting stories. I mean, not all of them are going to be as uh, well-known and notorious as Al Capone. We picked Al Capone just because it was probably the most notorious gangster in history. It would be an easy starting point for us to just try and get in a groove, get in our rhythm, let you guys hear us, let you feel us out, just get in the groove with us. Get in the groove. Get in the groove. The gangster groove. The gangster groove. So if you guys like what you hear, make sure to tune in. We're going to try and turn out new episodes every week, once a week. Uh, Definitely. So look forward to next week. It'll be Cadillac Charlie. So, yeah. So, you know, peace out, homies, and stay gangster. (laughs) Stay G.